Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of Saddest Night Out. My name is Roy, and I'm the host of this daily podcast, and it's primarily about music and creative culture in London. Once again, I have a show coming up. Tuesday, the 20th of August, I will be playing at Road Trip and the Workshop. It's free entry, and there will be music from myself as well as Izzy, Kin Soul, and Rose White and Jack. That is Tuesday, 20th of August at Road Trip and the Workshop on Old Street. This is Saddest Night Out Live at number three. And if you go to facebook.com forward slash saddest night out, you can find some more details. And if you have a kind heart, you just might click the tick that says I'm going because I don't think anyone else has done that yet. It's a very lonely looking Facebook page. On today's episode, we are once again in the company, pardon me, of Moon Williams. This is part two of our chat. We first got together on episode 190, so if you haven't listened to that already, I highly recommend you do so. We caught up with each other just before the open mic at the Nelsons last night, so we're back in East London, and we actually spoke in his car, which is the second time this week that I've spoken to a guest inside their car, and it really does make for a fantastic location to record a conversation. So, the first time we spoke, we went from Moon's beginnings, including how he got the name Moon, up to about the mid-70s when he had just finished singing with a heavy metal band called Zero, spelled X-E-R-O. So on this conversation, we continue on from there. And we also talk more generally about his career as a whole and what he's more focused on these days. So once again, this is me talking to Moon Williams. I hope you enjoy and I'll catch up with you more afterwards. It's Thursday evening, so once again we are at the Nelsons, but we're just outside in what's actually a perfect location for recording a conversation, and I'm joined once again by Moon Williams. How are you today? Okay, thank you, Roy. Yes, yes, very good. Thank you very much for joining me again. I was just saying before I pressed record, we left off last time, you were in the heavy metal band Zero, or the happy metal band, as you like to call it, and you left that band because of the damage you were doing to your vocal cords to yes. sing as loud as the guitars. Yeah. So we're about the mid-70s. You've just... You, I'm imagining... I guess you did get back into music after taking the break. Yes. So what did you do first after you got the okay on your vocal cords? I went back to session work, mm-hmm. which was just working in and out of studios as a paid session singer uh, and was on uh, just backing other artists really that was fine it's good wages i also kept in touch with uh some of the band members from mahatma that was when i was at the marquee and um i used to go down if gino washington and the ram jam band were playing in london i used to go along to see them and we had a routine worked out where halfway through a particular sam and dave soul number say he would stop the band stop 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 and and he'd look in the audience and go what you saying? You saying you can do better? Get, that man <laughs> saying to get up here, you know. And I used to get up. We used to do a couple of songs together, you know, which was great, great fun, really yeah. good, yeah. And uh, so, are you still with DJM at this point? Yes, you? I was with DJM up to about seventy-eight, nineteen seventy-eight, um, as a singer-songwriter. And as I said last time, because of the success of Elton John, everyone else was a little bit pushed back a bit. Fair enough, mm. one of those things. Um, so session work, just anyone yes. who needs a, a backup singer, a soul yes. singer. Yes, I, I was with an agency, Bruce Baxter, he's now no longer with us. Mm-hmm. And 
for a short time as well, I did demos for there were used Woolworths used to have a label called uh, Golden Guinea. Right. And it cost a guinea, one pound, one shilling. <laughs> and it was 20 of the current hit records. They okay. couldn't do it now. You couldn't afford it now. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I used to go in and do the covers of Average White Band. I did some Al Green tracks. You know, they just had different singers, like different folks with different strokes. Simple as that. You had singers doing Paul, Paul McCartney stuff, singers doing, you know, uh, pop stuff, soul stuff. And then they also go on the album... No credits. Oh, no, it did have credits, actually, when I think about it. And um, it just had singers, and you had a list of singers. You didn't know who was singing what, but yeah. we got wages, and, and we met up every sort of two or three weeks because they just kept on going round and round. And it was a fantastic, great time because everyone was... And out of that little section came uh, Billy Ocean, mm-hmm. wow. who... Um, I'm trying to think. Keith, his name's Keith. His real name's Keith. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew him as Keithy. And uh, the Rubettes, to become the Rubettes, were all session guys as well. They they were um, all in the, this little outfit. And actually, I mean, that was a that was a really silly story, the Rubettes. That was Wayne Bickett and I had hit record, but no band. Right. We, they did session work, did the track, and they said, this is a number one, but we haven't got a band. So they phoned around all of the session guys and said the first five guys to get to the top of the pop studios are the Rubettes <laughs> and my friend John and Alan and they, they all got down there and they became the Rubettes number one instantly and it was funny because we, we'd already booked a holiday we, we went on holiday the following week the week they went to number one and the mobs of people for John this was John Johnny Richardson the drummer mm-hmm. who had a a cameo spot on the song he stood up and spoke to the cameras you know so he was, uh, he was highlighted yeah the people went berserk down at I think it was Bogner <laughs> in, the, in the holiday camp down at Bogner and I'd, I've never seen anything like it you know f- f- it, the stardom side of things mm. and he always he's told me many times since that he struggled like mad as a session musician Mm-hmm. And as soon as you made it, you didn't pay for things. <laughs> you went to the shop and said, I want that jacket. And they said, can I put in the window that you shop here? <laughs> yes, there you are, free of charge. And he said, so ironic how, yeah. how, this, how this old business works, you know. Actually, but, um, it's interesting that you mentioned stardom, because I wonder, from where I am, the 70s to me seemed like a time of a lot of change. It started out with yeah. the end of the Beatles in the 60s era, punk comes along, disco comes along. How did you find demand for... Because your voice is... It feels very classic and timeless and very malleable, but did demand wane or was there a surge? No, I think... I think that's where I got the aptitude for changing, doing different versions. Because, uh, yeah, you, you, you can quite easily become a dinosaur. Yeah. You can get lost with everything. There are certain singers uh, that have changed over the years to go along with what's happening now. Others haven't, and they've become extinct, more or less, you know. Um, and yeah, what I used to do was I used to go to see bands, younger bands, and get ideas from them, and maybe go and see them a couple of weeks later and say, any chance of me joining you in that particular track? And I'd change it around slightly. Mm-hmm. And before I knew where I was, I was singing in several bands, you know, just doing uh, one a week, two a week. Some some were sort of more poppy, some heavier. And I met loads of different musicians. And, and the great thing is, you know, a lot of us are still friends now. Mm. But I'm the only one out of the that generation that I know of that is still 
because I love finding new versions, you know, of, of stuff. They are available if you if you just look for them. You know, if you if you know where to look, you can find so many versions of one song, and just go through them all, and then find one, and think that's entirely different to the hit version. Yeah. I'll do that. You know, yeah. and oh, I've been lucky. In fact, lucky. so as well as being lucky that you have that talent to manoeuvre how you sing to different versions of songs. You've also had a very long career in music, and there aren't too many people yeah. who can say they've had any career in music, let alone a long one. Yes. So, leaving the 70s, going into the 80s, what's changing for you? What's staying the same? I think uh, the main thing with me, when I left DJM, mm -hmm. I left a bit disillusioned because nothing had happened. But I was also quite happy in a way that I'd found... I'd found a, a, a proper voice, you know, because for the first couple of years they were trying to mould me into a blue-eyed soul act, you know, and it was fine. Um, but the stuff we—if people Google Moon Williams, you'll normally find six songs come up: mm -hmm. "Suspicious Love." Uh, they're all heavy disco-type songs. And I've since found out that they were actually Northern Soul hits. I, did, I had no idea about that until recently. Wow. No idea. And they were being played up and down the Northern Soul circuits, the Wigan Casino up in Manchester. Everyone knew my name up there, you know, and it was really odd to find that out. Only recently, I was at a gig a couple of years ago, and a guy came up and said, shook my hand and said, uh, my name's Les. I've been playing your music for the last 30 years, you know, and I'm so pleased to know you're still doing stuff. And I, I just, I, he had to explain, and he said, I'm a Northern Soul DJ, and I've had your collections. People still ask for your stuff now. Wow. And, and I thought, that's incredible, you know. In yeah. fact, what my daughter's done is she's had uh, the six songs for my birthday, mm -hmm. my 70th. She had the six songs mounted on a lovely big frame. Oh. Uh, the six Northern Soul hits, you know. And... Um, and while I'm on the subject of framing, one of the tracks there is in 1978, in when Argentina were in the World Cup, mm -hmm. uh, there was a song called Argentina Heroes, and I recorded that. And it was used on, a, there's a BBC programme, I think it was called The Love of the Game, something like that. It was a six weeks leading up to the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And I was played every week. Uh, no, they, it was a theme tune, Argentina Heroes. And ironically, Argentina won that World Cup. <laughs> so every every four years now, I'll get a little royalty check because it sells in Argentina because it's called Argentina <laughs> Heroes. So as soon as the World Cup starts, a lot of people buy Argentina, Argentina Heroes, Heroes, hoping for the best. So every four years, I'll get a lovely little royalty check, which is, is strange. It's that time again. Yes, <laughs> very, strange, the yeah, very strange. Yeah. So go, moving on from the 70s, yep. are you still doing session work and songwriting and performing? Yeah, after DJM, I didn't do a lot of songwriting because I was, I was there as a singer-songwriter. Uh, after that, one of the chaps who was at DJM with me, my friend George, he decided to move out to Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and there was no, there was no real internet connection then. Yeah. So it was telephone, etc. So that was it. The songwriting partnership stopped. But then, maybe twelve years ago, he moved from Spain to Thailand, and suddenly we were skyping, and then we realised we can write songs like this. 
So we've since been going backwards and forwards. He he can actually now email me a backing track, mm-hmm. and I can write lyrics to it and do a rough guide vocal, email it back to him. And he's got a club over there. He wants me to go and do some singing in there because they, they keep playing the stuff. But so, you know, I'm not sure if I want to go to Thailand to do a gig. I'm not, <laughs> not, not, not sure. But, so is um, that the same relationship you had back in the day? He'd work on the music, you'd work on the yes, vocal and the lyric? He, he used to give me a, a, a melody mm-hmm. and I'd have it for a few days. And if I can't write something within a few days, then it's not going to work. Yeah. As that, you know. Um, I mean, I'd, now even nowadays, I... I if someone, if I go to, to jump up with a band, I say to him, just do a 12-bar blues. I've got two sets of lyrics that I've had for 30, 40 years that are 12-bar blues lyrics. They can be yeah. sung fast, slow, medium. They fit every 12-bar. So just have it, have it in your head, you know. Yeah. I've got two sets of lyrics. So you can, you won't show yourself up. You can yeah. jump up and add lead with anyone and have sets of lyrics in your heads already, you know what I mean? So It's another testament to your longevity in this career that you you think in such a way that you could join in with anyone it's, yes. it sounds like from the start you've had that knack to yeah, join no, in is, with it, no I have I've been I can stand yeah I can stand with a band and I, mm-hmm. it never phases me it doesn't matter what they're doing I can fit in I can I can sit back and just sometimes it's great just repeat the lines they're singing yeah they sing a line you sing it but jazz it around a bit I, I did that once back in Van Morrison and he got the hump so I, I, I did have to stop because you get he sacked you if you had lived <laughs> at the Fliad Festival over at uh, over in Holloway and uh, yeah he, he, I get getting nasty looks so I stopped Is it from people that you encountered along your career that you learned lessons like that? Yes yeah as I said I remember saying last week if you work with some lovely love, like if you're singing and you're next to someone like Benny King mm-hmm. If you can't learn, then you're stupid because you're looking at this man. Unfortunately, there are a lot of younger musicians now. Uh, you know, they're sort of uh, they're so up there. They, they they don't want to listen to anything. They think they're it, and that's it. They find out the hard way they're not. Mm. But when I was younger, you know, I'd listen to things, and I think like the humility of the man as well, being as good as he was, and yet there was no flashness, and he wasn't trying to push himself on you he just sung you know and you, and you, you said oh, I was magnificent and he'd go oh thanks very much I mean now I must just say quickly I did a gig last Sunday at a restaurant and on Monday I'm walking along the street and I get two two British Telecom van pulls up and the guy says I was watching you yesterday at a restaurant fantastic but I felt I have to say to him well look thank you so much for letting me know because people don't let you know yeah you know I said to him it's great that you've actually took you've stopped and you've called me over and you and, and you you know you said how much you enjoyed it that's the buzz part about this you know mm. it's great for your ego but it's also it's great to know that people are acknowledging you you know because all you want to do is be recognized be liked if you're singing why would you do it unless you want people to like what you're doing yeah and people don't let you know, unfortunately. A lot of them, they get very blasé. I've always said, if Frank Sinatra was here now, if he, after an hour in a, in a pub or a bar, they'd, they'd all go away their own separate ways drinking, mm-hmm. they ignore him. doesn't matter how good you are. People, unless you've paid money to go and see someone, people will get fed up with the same person. doesn't matter how good you are after 45 minutes. That's why I try to limit my gigs to an hour, hour and a half top whack because 
it starts getting tedious, you know. Yeah. But, but lucky enough, I've got enough songs to be able to go for longer if I have to, you know. When we spoke last time, we were talking about the 60s and 70s, how you were on the road, performing a lot in London as well. I can imagine as time has gone on, the ratio of how much time you might spend on the road, how much time you might spend at home has changed. Yes, yeah, it's slackened off. Yeah, What's yeah. it been like adapting to that? Did it feel natural or was it? did you feel like yeah. you had no choice? But is... No, I think a lot of it, I mean, if I wanted to, I could do three or four gigs a week because of what I get offered. Mm-hmm. But physically now, it's not the same. You know, when you get to a certain age, lovely doing the gigs. It's the, people don't they forget. It's getting to the gigs and getting home again, setting up your equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, getting to the gigs could be two hour and a half, two hours, and going home. So you do a gig for an hour, but you're out for five or six hours at least. Yeah, and it can be quite exhausting. So, and also as you get older, your voice needs a little bit of time just to recuperate. So I don't mm-hmm. like doing two nights off the trot if I can help it. I like to have it at least 24 hours in between. But I still get such a buzz out of it that, you know, um, I'm doing two a week on average, which is which is wonderful, you know, it's great, it's great. And you mentioned how you've re- you reconnected with your old writing partner. Yes. Oh, is that side of things still going? Session work, writing? Yes, I'm doing a song now. When I do a, a set, I do a song called A Man Like Me With A Woman Like You that we wrote... Uh, fairly recently you know it, it's a, a, a sort of rehash of a song we did in in the 70s that we didn't use and i said to him that melody was always a great melody so he sent it back to me with a bit of new modern uh, technology on it so i rewrote the lyrics um, and i've been doing that recently you know again with technology now you can do so much at home you don't yeah. have to go into studios you can put things down lengthen songs shorten songs whatever you want to do you know and you um, mentioned when you spoke before that you had been on some dance remixes as well. Yes. Northern soul, dance music, heavy metal. Yep. I mean, are there any things over the passing of time that have stayed the same for you? Any things that you've noticed change? No, I mean, I think the main thing is I love melody. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's fast or slow. It doesn't matter if it's classical. If it's got some lovely chord changes, lovely. I love to sing over chord changes. And I think there are, there's only a few, there's only a handful of singers really that that are doing that now. You know, the the, the older brigade, we've either, they've either passed away. You know, like the Luther Vandrosses of the world, mm-hmm. Al Jarreau. You know, the, all all the big guys who were doing that sort of thing. The only one at the moment who's doing that is Michael McDonald, and. Uh, uh, I dread it. Every time I see an article, I think, oh, he's retiring because he's, he's, he's 73, 74. Mm. He doesn't have to tour around the world anymore, but luckily enough, he still does. <laughs> and I go to see him every time. And it's it's people like that that inspire me all the time, you know, because he's a brilliant songwriter, incredible vocalist, and very humble. I've met him a couple of times, and he's so he's so humble and approachable. That's, that's the thing. I like to think I'm approachable. Mm. You know, I would never, ever, not, if anyone wants to talk about music, never say I'm, I'm too busy or not now, you know, I, I, I'll, yeah. I'll say, right, I love talking to the young kids because I love, my son's a DJ and, and you know, he, he plays house and garage music and, you know, I, I think I may have touched on it, I had house and garage number one in Denmark in 2000, simply because it's too old to get a deal over here, you know, so the guy I wrote it with, Charlie, he went to um, Kiss FM and they said try Bim Bam Records which is a Dutch company we went there and we got a deal 
and it was number one in the dance charts for about six weeks. Wow. And uh, that was called, that was, the band was New Hope featuring Moon Williams. And it was a, a house and garage dance track. And just recently it's been remixed by some Spanish guys and uh, it's now been reissued under the name of Hegemon featuring Moon Williams. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's always there's always something going on musically to keep you keep you buzzing, to keep you going. Otherwise, I think it's too much to keep doing on your own. You know, you need some stimulus from somewhere. You know, and, yeah. and luckily enough for me, it's happening all the time. Um, we might uh, have to head in soon, but I'd just like to ask one more question. Yes, right. Looking back on the story you've told and all that you've been through, is there any? decision any period that you would like to change if you could and is there any period that you love to relive any particular highlights for you i think if i was there's two things i think uh my own advice that i've been given myself over the years has worked out to be spot on and that is be very careful who you tread on on the way up mm -hmm. because you never know who you're going to meet on the way down i've seen that firsthand people who've walked over people to get where they are and then they have a bad time and those people go no nope, I don't want to know you because you did me wrong so that's one important thing to learn but I think if I was looking back I'd, I'd think it was it would be I didn't have enough confidence in myself when I was at DJM I just quite happily plodded along writing stuff if I'd have had more a bit more push a bit more go and made a few moans and groans like a lot of them used to about you know how come I'm not getting any doing this how come I've not worked here I just accepted everything yeah. so I think that was what I would change I'd be a bit more assertive uh, I haven't got a great ego um, like I don't take CDs to gigs I've got several hundred CDs sitting around at home that I, I made uh, and I, I just I can't bring it in me to take CDs to gigs and say, here I am singing, would you like to buy one of these CDs? <laughs> I, I can't do that. If someone says to me, have you got a CD? Different matter entirely. Yeah. But I don't plug it. My daughter's had all posters made up, you know, buy my own CD here. <laughs> but, you know. But looking back, was there any period in time that you loved to relive, any particular highlight that really stands out for you? I think, yeah, I mean, the Mahatma days were great because you were working at the Marquee, which was the number one music club in London, and you were the house band, which was, it was so hard. You know, they had one house band every three or four years. Uh, so if you were that house band, that was a big feather in your cap, you know, and, you, and the friendships you made, and, you know, you had, you looked around, and there was all faces in the audience, you know, because singers who took a night off would come down, you know. It was great. It was really, really good, but... I mean, I've done so many things. I sold karaoke machines at the Idaho Home Exhibition, and you know, and, and selling selling them to all celebrities. You know, and they say, "Give us a demonstration." You know, there's all things like that that go through your head. You think, "What a great time that was! What a wonderful <laughs> yeah. time that was!" You know, and uh, but obviously, now I'm just concentrating now on on uh, finding versions of songs. I've got a, I've got a a track tonight to do which is mm. absolutely fantastic version of an established hit song but you've never heard it like this <laughs> what a lovely note to end on we're lo most looking forward to what's about to happen yes, next lovely one. moon thank you so much for your time and thank no you problem. for sharing your story with you're me. absolutely welcome <laughs>
And that was that. Thank you so much, Moon, for your time. I absolutely loved talking to him and listening to his stories and just trying to soak up as much wisdom as I can. He really does have an incredible voice. And his performance last night was as fantastic as he always is. He actually performed right after me. And I normally make the joke that, well, not so much of a joke, it depends. But I always say after I finish, this next act is going to blow that last guy right out of the water. And Moon really did. I mean, there were cheers for me. And you always have to factor in that you are the host. There's always a certain amount of, I don't know if it's sympathy, but just he's the host. Come on, let's cheer him on. But with Moon, the entire room erupts every time. He really is a formidable presence on any stage that he occupies. And I love, one, he has, I mentioned in our conversation that he has had quite a long career in music, which isn't something that can be said by many people. I think there are even fewer people who can talk so eloquently about all that they've been through the lessons they've learned, the geniuses that they've observed and what they carry with them up to this point. He really is an absolute diamond, a true gentleman, and I'm so happy that I not only got to meet him and got to see him perform, but I got to capture his story in the way that I could on this podcast. So thank you once again, Moon. I will forever be grateful for the time that you have given me. And if you ever get the chance, I cannot recommend enough that you check out one of his performances and you see exactly what I'm talking about. And you'll see, I'm not exaggerating, he is that good. I find, I can only hope that I can glean some wisdom and retain some of the lessons that he has learned, particularly about being more assertive in what you want to do. I can very much sympathise when you... particularly when you're younger, but just in general, when you are newer to a situation, you are inclined to trust those who are more familiar with that situation and thus be more quiet and go and acquiesce. Just go with what the others are saying because you just innately trust they must know better than I do. So if they say that's how things are done, then I'm going to go with it. And it's interesting that that is what he would go back and readdress if he could. The, The fact that At a certain period in his career, he was perhaps a little too keen to go along with the opinions and decisions of others when his gut was telling him otherwise. And it's amazing to see that whether it's now or in the 70s, the 60s, whenever, it's being on a stage that he really feels he comes alive. And it was being on stage in London at the Marquee that he holds most highly when he looks back. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to see him on stage then, because I'm loving him on stage now. He truly does have a magic, a charisma, whether it's particularly with his voice, but with his writing as well, in everything that he does. You can just really see the respect he has for the craft and for the position that he holds. And any opportunity he has to share it with an audience, he wants to make it worthwhile for everyone involved. I could spend another half an hour just espousing praise towards Moon, but at least now we'll always have these episodes to revisit, to remember the story of Moon Williams. So thank you once again, Moon. Thank you all for listening. Last night's open mic was an absolute blinder. To my count, we had about 19 performers. They have these fantastic fans in there now, so 
it's actually comfortable to have so many people in and close the windows so it's not too noisy outside and just have a grand old time. In fact, I had a bit of a reunion at last night's open mic because I mentioned I have a show coming up and I mentioned that all of the people from the first show I put on were actually in the room. Yes, we had Juliet sans Nanette, but she was there in spirit. We had Delilah Black and Buckley, and we had Gary, a.k.a. Its Own Animal, who all performed last night, and they were all fantastic. I, uh, Those are the nights that you wish every night could be like. It really was a great time. As for me and my music, I have not picked up a guitar outside of the open mics, which maybe isn't the best situation to be in considering I have a show around the corner. I'm loving that I am getting better at filling my calendar with people to talk to and there are still many people I want to reach out to but I mustn't neglect my own music. So that will be my focus over the weekend. I will hopefully get a chance to talk to MC Purple today and maybe as happens to be the case with the King's Head I tend to get some surprise guests on the podcast so we'll see where the night takes us. And uh, things aren't particularly great in Casa del Roy right now. The water is slightly shut off, so I am very much feeling the pinch from that. But you don't come to this podcast to hear my woes. And if you do, you can catch those on the Monday episode. As for me, I will be heading off to a rehearsal very shortly. And then there is the interview with MC Purple, hopefully. Then the open mic. And then this weekend, I'll be picking up the guitar again and doing some much-missed recording. But that's all for me for now. Once again, I do have a show coming up Tuesday, the 20th of August at Road Trip and the Workshop on Old Street. If you go to facebook.com forward slash saddest night out, you can check out more details. And the reunion that I mentioned that took place at last night's open mic with Gary, a.k.a. Its Own Animal, and Delilah Black and Buckley and Juliet and Nanette. Well, Nanette wasn't there, but they, they do come as a package deal. At least they will do at the show at, what is the name of the venue? Paper Dress Vintage, Sunday, 22nd of September. Gary, a.k.a. Its Own Animal. I'll just call him Gary for now. Gary has a new album out in September, and this show will be celebrating the release of that. And yours truly will be playing, as well as Juliet and Nanette, Delilah Black and Buckley. And Gary will be headlining. So that's something to look forward to. Something to definitely put in your calendars. That's all from me for now. Thank you all very much for listening. And I'll catch you on the next one. Take care.